Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel Sullivan. England were back in action at last, but it didn't exactly go to plan. We pick apart England's final game before the World Cup and what questions the performance leaves for Serena Wiegmann. We also check in with several other nations as Ireland announced their final squad and Canada and Jamaica remind us that there are still battles to be fought off the pitch before this World Cup kicks off. Rach, tell us where you are first off. Where, where are you? Where, where are you recording from today? Weirdly, I'm back recording from the same place I was recording from in the last um, podcast when I spoke to Ish Ferguson. So I'm in the same hotel again, but in the interim, I've been to New Zealand and back. Um, and I've, we've done a little tour of the South Island and it was incredible. Well, I've seen your Instagram post. You and Sophie seem to be doing this like beautiful little kind of like run up and down of the country, <laughs> visiting lakes and scenery and just generally looking very much in love with life <laughs> and the world. Um, it's been beautiful to see. Um, yeah, obviously I'll be out there in a couple of weeks time joining you playing third wheel to you both. So I'm guessing you just can't wait Looking for that forward to it. happen. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, even though you're obviously out on the other side of the country, you saw the game at the weekend, uh, which happened to fall on Pride Day. So happy Pride, everyone, for for the weekend just gone. Um, But not the kind of celebration that we were expecting. I think uh, we went into this game thinking, obviously off the back of the Australia game, which we lost, it it sort of, you know, destroyed our our massive 30-game unbeaten run. And we were thinking, okay, well, this is the time to get back on the horse, girls. It's a little bit of a change squad. We're going to see Serena's starting 11. um, and obviously she's a consistency queen. So we were thinking, okay, well, the, the people that she's going to be putting out are probably going to be the squad that she's going to be starting with. So a bit of a changed back line. Um, I mean, obviously Esme Morgan coming in, obviously Lucy Bronze, we expected that. Jess Carter, we expected that. And Alex Greenwood dropping in there as well. Absence Millie Bright, which everyone was kind of working out whether that was going to happen or not. But we saw her last week, past couple of weeks, in the training grounds on the media days, uh, still doing her, her knee rehab. But... I mean, for the first and final public World Cup warm-up match, Rach, I mean, what did you think? What were your thoughts on it? So I had the benefit of, I guess it was a benefit, of watching it after everyone else had watched it, right? So mm-hmm. we got our timings our ways. Um, I say we, Sophie. I relied on Sophie to wake us up and she got her nice. timings wrong. And I love that you're throwing Sophie under the bus there. Totally thrown under the bus. Uh, she woke up in the 93rd minute. Um, so <laughs> we ended up not actually watching it live, which to be honest, after finding out what the result was, I'm not like totally upset that uh, I didn't get up at two o'clock in the morning to watch it live. Um, but I will say, I thought it was going to be an awful lot worse than it was. Um, okay. Interesting. I, yeah, I and maybe it's because I went into it thinking it was going to be bad. But I watched it thinking, do you know what? They look like a team who haven't played together since April. They look mm-hmm. like a team who have had most of their players off for the last two or three weeks and haven't really played much football. Um, it wasn't the starting eleven, I don't think. Uh, obviously, with that back line, um, and I think the ideas were there. 
but the execution wasn't. Um, and I think that's kind of to be expected in these pre-tournament matches, particularly when you're out, you know, you finished your season and you've had that break. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were a little bit slower, weren't as sharp as maybe we would want. And I think we often see that before major tournaments, particularly World Cups. For some reason, World Cups pre-tournament friendlies always seem to be crap. I think before the 2019 World Cup, England lost to New Zealand. Um, you know, when you look at some of the other th- teams at the moment, I think Germany just beat Vietnam like 2-1. And I think Switzerland and Zambia drew 3-3. You know, you get kind of maybe a little bit unexpected results. Teams aren't going to be firing at all cylinders before a major tournament. And I'm okay with that. So actually, there weren't any major issues when I was watching it that worried me. I just thought they just looked not quite at the races, which is kind of expected. Um, you know, and I think when they play that behind closed doors game to Canada, we're more likely going to see that starting eleven. And I think Serena does know her starting eleven. I think maybe the only question that she might that might have come out of that game is that number ten role. So, on initial watching, especially the, the improvement in the second half, I'm not massively concerned. What about you? It's um. I thought, I mean, it was a very flat first half for me. And I think because of the loss to Australia and because all the hype that's now surrounding the Lionesses and because obviously we've had the squad announcement since then, it seems to have sort of ramped up a little bit, but not as much as we obviously would expect it because of the, the TV deal. We've not really seen any, you know, hype and kind of, oh, I don't know, just like advertising, just marketing, like anything on TV to kind of alert us that this massive major international tournament's taking place. But around the Lionesses, I feel, because of last year, there is just this major buzz and this major expectation that we're going to definitely make it to the final because we're European champions. So I think there's a lot of criticism around that performance that I can see online. And, and rightly so, I do think it was flat. It was an opportunity, I think, for the Lionesses to just come out with a bit of excitement to kind of you know maintain that but like you said I mean that that game is not indicative of how they're going to perform at the World Cup that's a completely different level as soon as you step out into the field on an international stage like you will naturally be a, a completely different place and we are still what two three weeks away from that opening game so not concerned but just was expecting a little bit more of an exciting performance but all, they didn't really know about it until quite late in the day. So well, maybe it's a that. bit of that. Yeah. And you also have to factor in, there's always that kind of awkward tentativeness around these pre-tournament friendlies because mm-hmm. players want to show what they can do. Players want to say, look, I want to be in the starting 11. But they're also like, we don't really want to get injured before a major tournament because that would be shit. So there's like this kind of, you know, you sometimes see it where maybe normally they would have made that tackle or they would have made that that ball or they would have slid in and gone for that shot. But there's there's that kind of awkward tentativeness where they're like, I want to show what I can do, but I also don't want to get injured. So that's why I never put too much on these pre-tournament friends. It's the same 2015 World Cup, England lost before they left. You know, and I understand that you want to be, that you want the excitement, you want to build the excitement. That's not what Serena Beagman's gone out there for. Yes, she's going out there to win, but she's using this friendly for something else entirely. Um, And yeah, that's all I'd say, is I basically just say, don't be too worried yet. If they played like that against Patey in the opening match, yeah, sure, I'd be worried about them being flat, but... Give it time, you know, before the Euros we saw Alex Greenwood in central defence and, and Leah Williamson in that, you know, deep midfield role. There were still questions being asked about England starting 11 before the Euros and look what happened. 
Um, so yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't get too worried yet. Well, I think um, I wasn't too worried about the opening game against Haiti. And then we had the interview with Daddy last week and the mentality from the, ha- the Haiti squad is very much kind of, we've got nothing to lose. We're not fearing anything. Uh, we're going into this game wanting to cause a bit of an upset, which, um, which I found kind of concerning. Uh, <laughs> I decided to cut the interview short at that point. I didn't think there was... Uh, <laughs> Don't talk there was much point in, yeah. yeah, there was there wasn't much point in going on. Um, but let's get into the nuts and bolts of the game a little bit more. Obviously, Rachel Daly, we spoke about this before, starting uh, over and above uh, Alessia Russo. Obviously, a lot of hype around this kid. We're expecting some big announcements from her in the next couple of days. But, I mean, she came on as a replacement at a halftime, and I did think England seemed to pick it back up. I mean, do you think it was the right choice to start Daly, given how sort of flat the first half looked, and then Russo seeming to spice things up for us for, for the second half? Yeah, I do, actually, and I think... I. Not that like I thought Leslie played well when she came on, but I think the reason she played well was because that shift of putting Lauren James into the number ten role and bringing mm-hmm. Chloe Kelly on replacement. I think in the first half, that connection across the front three wasn't brilliant, and I think there was too much space between Alatoon and Rachel Daly, and we weren't seeing a lot of link up play direct through the middle, and um, and it was they were relying a lot on the on the wing players sending in those crosses. I think once you took off Toon and put James in that position, they were much more creative, and I think there were more. Uh, there was more variety in terms of England's attacking options and she's not afraid to go direct. She linked up really well with Russo. So I think there there was a lack of service for Rachel Daly in the first half and I think had she stayed on and those changes had been made, I think equally they the, the would have improved in the second half anyway. I still think Russo played really well when she came on. She worked really well with James and obviously with the wingers as well. But it just made me think that Lauren James needs to start in that 10 role. I just think you're not you're not losing out by putting her in the 10 and bringing Chloe Kelly on the wing. I think Chloe Kelly is a fantastic winger um, and I think she offers more defensive, you know, a bit more defensively she'll she'll get back. Uh, and I just think that what Lauren James, her, that freedom she plays with is so much more beneficial when she's in the 10 role because she just has more options in terms of what she can do with the ball. And I think we saw that in the second half. Massively. I mean, even you know, after the game, uh, Vigman said, you know, I think we could see someone who actually did really good things. I mean, that's quite a vague quote from Vigman. That's she doesn't like to speak f- about individuals, but there was an individual specifically that I thought did very good things, but I'm not going to name did some <laughs> did some things quite well. Um, yes. <laughs> Uh, and I also think you can see in the moments that she could make some quick uh, some decisions a little quicker. So mm. maybe there there was not not criticism I would say, but I think obviously that you know Lauren James is sort of coming into like the England fold, and I feel like this is going to be her if if she has a fantastic tournament. This is the kind of tournament that I think could make her in the same way that sort of you know we were looking at Alessia Russo, like she obviously had. You know, people knew who she was. She was with Man United, having some good seasons. Then all of a sudden, she scores that absolute worldy back heel, and then she's propelled into like stardom. I feel like Lauren James has a couple of moments like that in this tournament, and this could be the kind of making of you know a super talent. But I've not seen that kind of. I've seen moments and sparks, you know, throughout the time that she's had. Um, with Chelsea, like towards the back end of the season, obviously coming back from injury, but I haven't seen a consistent. She doesn't still look like she's found her rhythm. I mean, do you think that you know her starting as a number ten is going to be the sort of where we find a, a, the confident, mature Lauren James, the the next era of a Lauren James? I think so because I think that's where she prefers to play, and mm. I think you know because it's not like you're taking out this really experienced number ten and replacing them for Lauren James. Ella Toon is still young relatively mm. inexperienced I know she was at the Euros but she was she would come on as a substitute at the Euros so you know it's not like you're taking a big gamble I think by putting her in a number 10 
And I think when you do see those moments where maybe she switches off or loses possession, I'd almost rather that happen in the midfield when you've got a Stanway or a Walsh behind her to mop it up than on a wing necessarily. Um, so yeah, I think actually putting her in there gives her more freedom, um, which is what you want with a player like LJ. Uh, because, you know, she's literally got both sides of the field to play with in that position. And yeah, I think either way, it's a bit of a gamble whether you start Toon or you put James there. So it's not like you're taking a big risk doing it with, with her. So I think she prefers to play that role. And I think that could be a real key for England. Well, I mean, we've kind of discussed the, the front line. I'm going to move us now to the back line. Obviously, a very changed line from what we saw with the Lionesses. Obviously, Leah Williamson out with the uh, the ACL. Millie Bright still doing her knee rehab. I'm a little bit concerned that given the time scale now, I don't know whether she actually will start that first game. And also I because it's Haiti. I I don't I'm not convinced she's not played a competitive minute since April she's still doing her knee rehab she hasn't been involved in the last game which I would have expected you know if you were going to be starting for the Haiti game I would be expecting that you'd be starting for this game and she's not quite yet in that place to at the moment so I I do you know what? I'm going to hedge my bets and say no obviously you're saying yes we'll put a we'll put a, 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 a is it a schooner yeah or five a, fi- a five Five Australian dollars? Is that... Yeah? How sure. much is that? Is that a beer? About £2.50, but, you know, it's fine. Right, we'll put a beer on it. We'll put a beer on it that Millie Bright, I think, doesn't start. You think she will. We will... We'll see. I think, using your logic against you, I think Vigman probably said we don't need to start you for a port- the Portugal game because it's Portugal. And I think we might see her start in behind closed doors against Canada. Um, I don't think... I think England aren't going to come out in any way... Not weaker, but I don't think they're going to... I think the starting 11 against Haiti is going to be England's strongest starting 11. They want to mm. start this tournament with a bang. Um, they don't want to have... Like the Euros, you know, you put out the starting 11 and it was nervy against Austria. They only won 1-0, so I don't think there's going to be any kind of compromises made. Well, we'll have to wait and see, Rach. Um... I just can't see it happening. I think because I agree that she's going to want to put out her strongest squad, but I also think, give on the on balance, Haiti shouldn't cause that much of a problem. I appreciate what I've just said about five minutes ago was that Haiti are coming out here with nothing to lose, <laughs> like all guns, all guns blazing, like why the hell not type attitude. You found the flames I, in that podcast, haven't you? You're like riling them up I'm, even more. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why I've done that at all. It's really <laughs> counterintuitive. Um, but Esme Morgan obviously dropping in and Jess Carter playing uh, at centre-half uh, in Millie Bright's absence with Alex Greenwood at left-back. I mean, how did you find them defensively? Were you were you convinced? Did you think, OK, well, this is quite a robust setup? Like, say, for example, Millie Bright doesn't start that Haiti game and this is actually the, 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 the four that we've got. Did you like that? Did you feel comfortable with that no, back line? Not especially. I think Esme Morgan was caught too high too often. Um mm-hmm. You know, and, and teams with better better forward players will take advantage of that. I thought Jess Carter was kind of forced back solo a good few times to mop up. Um, and England can't afford to be putting their central defenders up quite so high. Um, I thought Jess Carter did well. Um, and I think maybe we'll see here in that potential central defensive pairing with Bright. Um, I just... Morgan worried me a little bit just because of her propensity to go forward um, and getting caught out a few times. Um, so that kind of made me a bit nervous. Alex Greenwood will probably start in left back, but she is obviously a central defensive option. 
Vigman didn't really like that in the Euros, which is why we saw Leah Williamson pull back into that position for the Euros. So that that left back position is probably the most interesting one because of Alex Greenwood's ability to play in central defence. Um, and you've obviously got Jess Carter, who's quite got quite a lot of variety in terms of where she can play. You've got your Neve Charles as well, who obviously had a very, very good season um, with Chelsea. So we all kind of thought when Rachel Daly went up front, that left-back position was kind of wide open. But I think we have enough cover there and enough good cover. It'll be the central pairing that will be, be interesting to see. I have cons- uh, some concerns. I think um, if Bright doesn't start and Esme Morgan does drop in, I think she is obviously a clearly a very talented player. I think she still needs some development. I think um, she definitely seems to have matured since the Australia game. But I, in that game, I was not filled with confidence in the slightest. I mean, like you said, like she was caught in possession quite a couple uh, on a few occasions. I think also like she was drifting upfield a little bit too much for for my liking. That can't be easy. The age that she is dropping into, you know, such a significant period of time for the Lionesses trying to consolidate you know their success on on the back of the Euros but I I I think they're going to be pulled apart I think what will happen now because everyone will have seen those games they'll have seen the Australia game they'll have seen the Portugal game and they'll have seen the weaknesses that we do have there and I think she is someone that will be our the chink in our Lionesses armour I I don't think she'll get loads of minutes at the World Cup personally do you reckon? Um, yeah, and I think, you know, that's another thing that you factor in in World Cup warm-ups is, yeah, people will be looking at that defence, but that's probably not the back four that's going to start. So you're not giving too much away. I think it might be similar to the Euros in that we'll see quite a regular starting eleven. Maybe not the exact same every match, but I'm not sure um, Esme Morgan will get a lot of minutes. And do you think, I mean, are we worried a little bit about England being caught out on the break against sort of low blocks, um, like depending on what partnership happens? I mean, Morgan definitely fills me with less confidence, but even with Bright, I suppose that could happen. It all comes down to partnerships. And I think with Morgan going high, she was she was covered because Jess Carter is very fast and she's very good at getting back. If you've got a player in there, you know, Millie Bright, obviously excellent defender, but not speed queen. If you've got that partnership and you get caught out up front, it's going to be harder for the cover to come back and, and, and make those blocks. Um, so yeah, that would be a little bit nervy for me. Um, so it will all come down to that pairing. And I do think it's either going to be Bright or Carter or Bright or Greenwood, to be totally honest. And I think if Millie Bright's fit, she'll, she'll start every match. Okay, well, we'll have to wait and see, Rach. Uh, I mean, there's a big old beer resting on it, so um, I can't I don't wait. even like beer, so I don't mind. <laughs> Oh, I'll get a glass of wine. Oh, lovely. Um, you know, the wine Australian wine is supposed to be amazing. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed what. to be like taking a tour after the tournament with my mum up to uh, the Gold Coast and we're stopping off at a couple of wineries on the way. I mean, not drinking and driving, but drinking, stopping and then driving. We did um, similar in New Zealand. I did a wine tasting, Sophie did a beer tasting. It was a wonderful time, would recommend. That's so lovely, guys. It's not like you're having the most magical we're time. I can't wait to, to come out there and ruin it all for you. <laughs> Um, so on our St George's Park episode we wondered if England were in a good place a couple of weeks ago and that we were confident they could manage the injuries do you still think that is the case now? Yeah I think you know still England's probably weakest area is their defence that was the same going into the Euros and they conceded two goals so I think you know I was actually probably more concerned before this match Mm -hmm. and despite them drawing you know that's it's actually made me less concerned because I can kind of see it's there and the connections are starting to build and Serena Veeman talks a lot about connections and you've got that you know they've had to build these new connections 
over the last year, players have retired, players have been injured. This is the first, you know, camp they've had without Leah Williamson, for example. So it takes a little bit of time. I think we still have we still have time to go for them to, to build those connections and make them better. And once you're in tournament mode, it's a whole different beast. Um so yeah, I mean I'm I'm still probably similar in terms of predictions, but I think I'm still like happy enough with England going into this tournament despite all the injuries. And last case scenario last line of defense Mary Earps FIFA best goalkeeper is in the sticks so like if all else fails and there's balls coming in over the top balls in through behind Mary Earps is there to save the day so that's what we really need to sort of get back to the crux of the issue is that we still have the best goalkeeper on the planet so who almost no got concerns. caught out by a back pass in the game Rachel that, no just, but you know just, what what I don't Rachel. think was picked up on no what I don't think was picked on up on by the commentators was that the ball met Earps where the sun and the shade met. And I think that is what threw her off because you almost, she, it's almost last minute where she's like, oh shit, the ball isn't quite where I thought it was. And actually, I think it was that as the ball came to her, it went from shade to sun and she was suddenly like, oh Jesus. Um, but look, she's going to have games like that where she's not going to see much of the ball and she was still switched on. And that's the main mm-hmm. thing. You'll know that as a goalkeeper, being switched on despite you know not having that much to do. And that's what makes it the best. I love that. Great. Great ending. Great ending. Thank you for that. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Elsewhere, Ireland announced their final squad last Wednesday. Ethan Mannion and Megan Campbell have missed out with injury, while the admission of Birmingham forward Jamie Finn was a surprise, having been involved throughout the qualification. I mean, Rach, what do you make of the squad? You're obviously very heavily invested in this <laughs> team. Um, yeah, how, how are you thinking for the chances so far? I think they've got a good blend of experience and youth. Um, got it for Jamie Finn. I really thought that she'd be called up. I thought she deserved to be called up. Um, Megan Campbell, I know she had the injury, but I think I probably would have taken her 
half fit to be honest be just purely because she brings that extra weapon of the throw-in um, and a little insider information for you about that oh, throw-in the Canadian Federation apparently bought a ball machine so that they could practice defending those those types of throw-ins you're joking um, I'm not and to think of all federations to spend money on something that they ended up not needing I don't think Canada was the one because now Megan Campbell's not going and they've got this bloody ball machine but um, I, I just I would have taken Megan Campbell just because she offers that that's something extra um, obviously Leanne Kiernan was very close I can kind of understand after watching the Zambia game you know it would have been a bit of a risk taking taking a player who hasn't had enough or much game time since her injury um, so it's a, you know a real shame for her and what was really lovely is that a lot of the players who did get the call up all put up on their story obviously at Instagram and stuff like that and they're very proud but they all made sure to talk about the players who didn't make it and how much they were part of the journey to getting them to the World Cup and how you know they wouldn't be at a World Cup without these players that didn't make it you know and, and that's the the cruelty of you know football sometimes and it's especially when it's your first ever major tournament um but no I think look it's a it's a good amount of experience in there particularly in defense particularly with your Denise O'Sullivan's or Katie McCabe's um so yeah I'm I'm excited well, they beat Zambia 3-2 a little while back in a friendly. Uh, they faced France on July the 6th in their final warm-up game. How do you feel they're going to fare against France? I mean, that is, that's a big beast to, to come yeah. up against for your, for your warm-up game. So the Zambia game wasn't great. And I think because the, the squad hadn't been fully narrowed down to the final 23, there were some very nervous players out there. Um, and you could tell. And there were players, who, they looked rusty. A bit like England, they looked rusty. Passes weren't sharp. Speed wasn't really there. Caught out a few times by Zambia. Zambia were very good. Um, so second half again, like England, much better for Ireland. Um, and I think there's a, there is that element of players trying to perform and get their final spot in the squad and, and players who are nervous. Um, I don't think it's going to be like that against France. I mean, France is obviously going to be a bloody hard game. But you're going to have your Denise O'Sullivan's and your Katie McCabe back in the squad. They weren't there for the Zambia game because they hadn't been released yet. Um, so I think it'll be a, a very different side we'll see that come up against France. I think it's important that they test themselves against these types of teams. You know, um, we've seen some other squads, we'll talk about them later, not happy about their their uh, friendly games before the major tournament because they don't feel it's going to test them enough before a major tournament. And I think it's important for Ireland to be having those tests and to be seeing where they can be exploited and, and where they, what they need to work on. So yeah, it'll be a hard game, but it's a great game for them to to finish on. I mean, like you said there, I mean, for some teams, the World Cup preparations just haven't been straightforward at all in the slightest. Um, and it is disappointing that these kind of things are happening so late in the day. I mean, you know, the Jamaica and Canada squads are locked in disputes with their federation. The Canada team threatened to strike ahead of the She Believes Cup and payments for players is still a matter of dispute. I mean, last week... Canada soccer could be looking to file for bankruptcy protection, which just seems like... What the hell? This is like a a gold medal Olympic winning squad. Uh, and this is where we're heading. I mean, there's optimism that sort of a short deal can be struck before the World Cup. And we've just seen this um, incredible report from Susie Rack uh, that the sort of England players have been left quite frustrated about talks breaking down over performance related bonuses. I mean, 
Rach, where do you even start to kind of pick apart these issues? They're, we're weeks away from this tournament. It's not like this has crept up on us. It's been coming for quite some time now, and we've got federations all over the place still sorting out TV broadcasting deals or when the players are going to be released to go um, into international squads or, you know, issues now about sort of payment and performance-related bonuses. I mean, what what is going on? So I think I think it was Anya Lugo who spoke a bit about this before the match, the England Portugal match, and, and how quickly the game is professionalising on the pitch, and it doesn't really feel like the the other kind of stakeholders around the the, the teams are professionalising quick enough. Um, and I think there is an element still, obviously, of underinvesting in women's football, um, and underinvest at your peril because you know these players are going to sit down and and just accept it. Not not anymore. The game is growing too fast. And they deserve what they're asking for. Um, and I think as well, as we see all these teams do that, it inspires other teams to stand up and say, hang on a second, like, we deserve this too. You know, we're seeing it in Nigeria, South Africa. As you were saying about broadcast deals, Japan are apparently having to crowdfund to get the broadcast deals that they want to show the tournament. These are World Cup winners. Um, you know, you've got Jamaica, as you said. And there's various different issues that I think what some federations are doing is they think that, the closer you get to a World Cup, um, that the players will be quiet and that they'll just pipe down. And if we could just get them to the major tournament, we won't have to worry about this. Um, and I think there's an element in that England's as well is that I think they're hoping that once the tournament prep starts that the players will kind of back down. Um, and I just don't think that's going to be the case. And it, what frustrates me the most is why this always seems to happen in women's sport is that you have to they have to worry about so much more than just their performance on the pitch. And what should be happening is that every aspect of the game, every aspect of their lives as, a, as an athlete should be at the best level so that all they have to focus on is performance on the pitch. And as we're seeing from so many of these teams, that's just not the case. And they have to stand up. They have to fight. They have to fight for, you know, the right warm-up games. South Africa are being put on a pitch that's not fit for an international team to play on right before a major tournament. They could get injured. You know, they're playing a team that was ranked 96 places below them in the world rankings they need to be challenged before a major tournament um and it's just that when when we talk about lack of investment it's not just about money it's about belief in what your team can do it's about nutrition it's about how they travel out to tournaments where they're going to stay are they bringing the right amount of staff and we're seeing across a lot of these teams that that kind of support is just not being given and to for it to be people might think why is it coming up now it's because these teams have been ignored you know, they've been sitting down around the table with their federations. They've been trying other routes to have these issues solved and it's not happening. So it's a shame that it's happening now because it shouldn't be right before a major tournament. They should just be focusing on what they do on the pitch. I just think it's wild. I mean, out of all the squads that have kind of stood up for themselves and protested, the only one that seems to have made any sort of real progress is France. Um, obviously, they stood up for themselves. They weren't happy with uh, Karine Diacre. Now, Hervé Renard has come in. And that's kind of the, the only positive outcome that I've seen from a lot of the recent protests. I mean, if we then compare that to someone like Spain, Spain had exactly the same kind of issues with their manager. You know, no one was happy with um, Jorge Vilda. You know, they, they wanted him out. I mean, 15 players were like, absolutely bloody not. Am I going to be playing for this guy? Now seems to have kind of rode massively back from that. The majority of the players now joining the roster again. And obviously Jorge's still there, seems to be backed by the Federation. But what the most concerning element for me is the fact that these federations don't see, they seem to feel like they're above the player activism. That even though these players are kind of now speaking out and finding their voices, 
still nothing's being done. I mean, I can appreciate to some extent the difficulties of doing that. I mean, even from my own experiences, you know, when I was with Spurs, I mean, after I left Spurs, it, you know, when I was in the Spurs setup, it was so difficult to say anything because I was constantly feeling like, well, no, this is my employer. I don't have, you know, I was lucky enough, I suppose, to have a kind of fallback position because I did law. But for a lot of the girls, that is their job, their livelihood. They've moved countries, they've moved locations, they've moved their families around for, you know, to be a part of these squads. And also the backlash is that you might be selected, you might be like doing all this thing, like, and then all of a sudden you're out of a contract or no one takes you because they think you're a troublemaker. Um, Or you stand up for yourself and you find that none of your teammates follow you. That's the worst thing to kind of put your head above the parapet. And then you look around and no one else is there and you feel very isolated and, and very bloody vulnerable. But I think what has been better, I suppose, is that we're seeing players kind of band together. So like the Jamaican women's national team, for example, I mean, every single player put up that Instagram post. So they obviously had all had meetings, discussions amongst themselves about going forwards in Spain. Obviously, you had those 15 players who sort of banded together. and But even that was quite not segregated but it was quite broken up it wasn't the entire squad the entire squad seemed to be that saying was club related as well <clears throat> slightly different things yeah with like the Barca situation but it was um I, I don't know it's um I feel like we're, we're we're heading in the right direction but things still aren't that cohesive I think there is still an element though when it comes to women's sport and women's football is that we should just be grateful that there's a program and we should just be grateful that you're getting funding and that you're getting mm. put on tv and that people are coming to your matches, you know, and there's a different mentality sometimes. I mean, maybe it's just me thinking this, but when it comes to women's sport, that you're almost apologetic to be asking for more and almost apologetic to, you know, oh, here we go again, this equality thing. Do you know what I mean? And like, that's not the way it should be. You should be going in to represent your country with the exact same as your male counterparts. No question. The number of physios you have, the, the strength of conditioning, your nutritionists, access to gyms and recovery, that should be the same across the board when you represent your your national team. And I just don't think that mindset is there. You've still got people at the top levels maybe thinking, oh, well, this women's sport, Lark, is or women's football's getting big. You know, we should probably invest a bit more in the women's team. When actually it shouldn't be about investing in the men's team, investing in the women's team. It should just be investing in your national teams. Mm-hmm. And that, that should be the bar. Um, so I, I do think there's still that element of constantly having to prove yourselves. And... You know, it's that chicken and egg thing. You can't win something without support, but you're not going to get the support from your federation until you start proving that you deserve it. And it's just, it's backwards. It's so bizarre. And then if you take the kind of situation that's happening with Jamaica, I mean, they're set to go out to the World Cup with crowdfunding now to help cover mm. the cost of accommodation and meals. And this is a squad that is making history. I mean, this is their second time qualifying for the World Cup. That's absolutely huge. They're already doing so much better than the men's national side. And now, you know, you've got one of the two babies being set up by the mother of one of the forwards, Havana uh, Salon. And it just, I'm like... Where, why are these federations not embarrassed by the situations that they're placing these teams in? And also, like, the Jamaican women's national team are achieving history. They are already overachieving from the, th- the things that you're not providing them with. I mean, there were sort of talks about games being cancelled and... Um, it was nice to see, obviously, like I said, like the players kind of standing up for themselves and, you know, taking quite a um, proactive stance. But we haven't really seen much more progression of that discussion. I know there's probably a lot of things going on behind the scenes, but none of the players have kind of come forward with like the specific or the minute details of what's been taking place. I know this isn't the first time they've kind of raised 
concerns about what's been happening but it doesn't seem like anything's actually changed in the last three, four, five years. I mean, the fact that we're still going into a World Cup in 2023 and a national side is having problems with accommodation, training, conditions and nutrition, I think is wild. Um, especially where they're in a group that they've got to face Brazil and France. I mean, this is not something you can get. This is not a competition or a group stage that you can go into underprepared and not knowing your ass from your elbow, elbow or even if like you, your flight's been booked out there. So Imagine having to worry about that before a major tournament. Where are we going to train? You know, are we going to have our hotels booked for all the different locations? Like, you shouldn't be having to worry about that shit. It just, you know, you're asking these players to perform at one hand but tie behind their back. It just, it blows your mind. And look, I know women's football is going to be different in different countries and, and the funding that's available and the investment that is available is going to be different in different countries. But... You know, I just, those kind of basics should be sorted. Um, and it's just so frustrating that it's on players to have to worry about this kind of stuff. And we've talked about this before, having to embarrass federations or clubs into things, you know, I just wake up. On, a, on another level as well, I mean, even for the fans and the spectators, like things like this affect the competitiveness competitiveness of the competition because it's only going to be at some point in the tournament where Jamaica gets smashed, I don't know, 10-0 by France and everyone's like, well, this is where we are with like what a joke, women's football, blah, blah, blah. But actually the context of that is that you've had no preparation, you haven't had a decent night's sleep and you flew in probably the day before <laughs> on EasyJet. Like, it's just... It's baffling. So I'm just waiting for those kind of situations to arise where you don't put, you don't make the games competitive because teams are just underprepared and going into facing, you know, squads that clearly have a lot of experience and have been properly invested in. And maybe, look, maybe this is what the growth of these major tournaments do. The adding of more teams, you know, it opens up these countries to women's football at the world stage and what's expected of you on the world stage. Now, I would have expected more from Jamaica having reached the World Cup before to know the score and know what's expected. But this is what we talk about when we say like the, the major tournaments are expanding. We're getting in teams who are ranked much lower, who maybe are going to get smashed, but they need to come into these environments to understand and their federations need to understand what is expected from them to compete at this level. And maybe it's one of those, it's a bitter pill to swallow or a bit of a learning curve where you have to go through these difficult times in order for the federations to, to wake up because maybe up until now they've just been coasting and it's kind of a harsh lesson um, and I'd like to think that you know coming away from a major tournament like this federation is going to say okay it's, it's not good enough anymore for us to just be be coasting and that if actually we want to compete at this level and be in these major tournaments we have to start doing more. And I think obviously with FIFA introducing, um, you know, this kind of thing that the players are going to be guaranteed, uh, I think it's about $30,000, isn't it? Um, for the for each individual, I think it's absolutely huge because even if your federations are treating you like utter shit, at least you know that you're guaranteed a payment and going to be recompensed fairly well uh, for your time in the tournament. So maybe that... I just want to finish on a positive. I can't. I can't finish two weeks before the World Cup thinking it's all gone to shit and all these federations are collapsing and these players are having to, you know, do all this work just to get the bare basics. I, I, I can't finish on that note, even though that is the current position. I, I refuse. I refuse. I'm going to end positively. Do you know what? It shows us just how strong and powerful women are. Women can be. I love yes. that. What a great note. Oh, Rach. I knew there's a reason we did this pod together. <laughs> 
Uh, right, so where are you going to be then for the next week or so? Where's the next romantic trip that we're <laughs> going to see on Instagram? Uh, so we're off to Uluru tomorrow, Airs Rock. Nice. We've got... Um, Two nights there. Are you going to do the whole, like, have you got, a, like, something to lift, like a ball, like a football to lift up on the Ayers Rock Pride-type Simba vibes? Um, I hadn't thought about that because that's quite a difficult thing to pack, but I'll try yeah, and think of something. So. Speaking of packing, by the way, coming back mm-hmm. from New Zealand, we, we arrive at our hotel, open our bags, and we have a little receipt in there from, like, New Zealand baggage search people saying, yeah, we opened your bag and uh, we took out that battery in your heated gilet. You're not allowed to have that on a plane. Good luck. Fuckers. They took out they took the it. battery. Yeah. So FYI, <laughs> anyone going to New Zealand, apparently you're not allowed to have like portable batteries in your hand in your check luggage, but you can in your hand luggage. So yeah, rules change from country to country, pain in the arse. But um I will be in Uluru tomorrow and the next day, and then we are heading to the Sunshine Coast where things kinda of start to kick off, teams start to arrive. And um, both Ireland and England are near there. So yeah, we'll we'll get the ball rolling in terms of actual World Cup prep. Oh my god! So the holiday's over then next week, basically. It is, this is it. Yeah. Get this in it. the last moments of being a proper couple before everything goes awol. Matches <laughs> here, then everywhere. Internal flights, McGee. It's going to be absolutely wheels. wild. <laughs> yes, third wheels arriving. Um, so yeah, enjoy your time out there, guys, because I am planning You're on coming. You're coming. Ruining it for you. Yeah. Over the horizon. Um, I've got, so when I'm out there, on the 16th of July, I fly out there. Um, so I think I'm landing around the 18th uh, into Brisbane. So I will see you guys there. But obviously, we've got a couple of pods in the meantime. It's not the last time I'm going to see your face, obviously, because, you know, I'm quite intense. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening to today's episode of Upfront. We'll be back next week bringing you more World Cup build-up. Not long to go now. Remember to hit subscribe in your podcast app to never miss an episode throughout the World Cup. Get in touch with questions in the meantime. I am at Morgie underscore 89. Rach is at Girls on the Ball. Or you can find us on our generic at with at Football Ramble. See you next week. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.